the book of James is an interesting book because this is Jesus's half brother. This will be the last time I ask you to raise your hands. Raise your hand if you were raised in a blended family. My hand is up. I was raised in a blended family. Uh, well, Jesus was raised in a blended family. In fact, his dad was not really his dad. It was kind of his stepdad. And James was his half-brother. And, and James didn't believe in, in, uh, in Jesus, uh, but uh, he became completely committed as a follower after he saw Jesus die on the cross and then he rose again on the third day. In fact, he actually became uh, what we would call an apostle. He oversaw churches. He started churches. And there was one church in particular in Jerusalem that was under a lot of duress. Because, see, in these days... You guys hear that? Okay, there's like a fan or something blowing. Maybe we can fix that. Um, but in these days, if you're a Christian in the United States of America, um, you you can have a real stress-free relationship with God, with your religion. In those days, uh, they were so angry with Christians that they were stoning them. And uh, in fact... Uh, James's life ended, according to historians, James's life ended by them taking James on top of a temple and throwing him off the temple in order to kill him. But when he landed, he wasn't dead. So they, they ran up there and they started stoning him to kill him. And this was all wrapped up because he believed in Jesus Christ and he was the leader of this church. And so obviously prior to being killed, he could... He could sense that there was a lot of anger towards him. The congregation, the church, they knew every time they congregated, they were risking their lives. There was a lot of stress. There was a lot of worry, a lot of concern. So if you have any stress tonight, if you have any worry tonight, if, if, if you're depressed tonight, this is the perfect night for you. Um, if, if there's something just rattling you, because James spoke, uh, to this church about what to do. And any two bit psychologist will introduce these thoughts to you. Uh, the, the fight option where when, when opposition and, uh, let me just see if I can get a little bit more specific. If, if, if you've got, uh, some people coming against you, or if you're depressed, or if you're down, or you're discouraged, uh, the fight people kind of roll up their sleeves and they get more aggressive. Um, the the fright people just think frightened. Uh, they just freeze. They don't fight. They don't run off. They just don't do anything at all. They just just nothing and. And if you ask them the next day, well, what are you going to do about it? And they're like, I don't know. And then you ask them the next day, what are you going to do about it? Well, I don't know. And what are you going to do? I don't know. And so they don't do anything at all. Um, and, and then there's the, the flight where people just quit. Um, you know, we've had people on our staff, paid staff, they have a bad day and just straight up quit. Just boom, gone. Just Wow. Did that just happen? I can't believe that that just happened. You know, it's just like, just quit. Bam, boom, bah, whoo, I'm just gone. And it's like, oh, my goodness. But there is a, a fourth option called faith. 
There, there is that option. And, and that's what I want to unpack in James chapter 5. And, and uh, so here we go. Uh, let's dive right into it. The first verse in James chapter 5 that, that I want to read to you is in verse 7. And this is going to be five lessons from Pastor James, all right? So here we go. Uh, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient. Now, time out. I, you know, because I'm the one with the microphone, I'm just going to be honest. I'm not patient about anything. About anything. I, I'm just not that guy. All right? I'm just not that guy. Are you with me? Just not at me. Are you with me? I'm just not patient. Everything. I'm mad at my, my microwave for taking long. It's like... 36, 35, 34, 30. Like, you're done and just press the button. Yeah, I put in my toaster and, and, and we've got a toaster, um, uh, that you pull the little door down and then you lay your bread in there and you close the door. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, why aren't you toasted already? I, I have eaten so much toast that's not toasted because I'm tired of waiting it for it to be toasted. Have you ever just hit the button and it just pops up like I'm done with you? I'm, I'll just eat it the way it is. I don't know, but it is. I just am not patient. So here, Pastor James, he's talking to his church and he says, okay, you are overwhelmed and you've got a lot in your life. You're actually even fearing for your life. Be patient. Here we go. Let's keep on reading. As you wait for the Lord's return, consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rain, the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. To be patient. That's what he's saying. To be patient. And, and I can't say enough about how difficult it is to be patient. So I'm going to give us some, some, uh, some thoughts to entertain about patience. Okay? Um, so here's a sub point underneath the first point, which is patience. The way God created the world, this is your sub point, and I don't have these on the screen. I apologize about that. So uh, you can paraphrase any way uh, you want to or shorthand it. But the way God created the world is that things grow in a season, but they don't grow for every season. It, and, and, and I hope that these are words that I remember when I walk out of here. Sometimes I feel the Lord speak to my spirit and he'll just say, man, you preach that really good. Now let's live it. <laughs> Can you live it? And, and, and what I want us, all of us impatient people to, to embrace is, is that everything that God created has seasons of growth. Seasons of growth. Like summertime, kids just grow. I don't know what happens in summertime. They just... 
is seasons of growth. And, and I, I could make this long list about wheat and cotton and trees and flowers and the bushes in your yard and those of you that like to garden. I can make all these examples, but I think you're already with me. So I'm about to go to my next sub point, but just let me encourage you with this thought. If you don't feel like you're growing, either two things are happening. Number one, you are growing. You just don't see it. Like, my son is seven. I know he's growing, but I can stare at him. And I just don't see it. Sometimes people come up to me and go, man, Pastor Frankie, man, you just, man, you're just preaching it. Just, man, you've grown so much. You're just at a, you know, I can tell God's brought you to another level. And I'm like, wow, thanks for telling me because I didn't notice. Do you see what I'm saying? So either one, you are growing and, and you don't notice. Or number two, this isn't grow season. This is plant season. And I want to say, don't skip this season. This is plant season. So here, so let's, let's try to remember that while we're trying to be patient. Here's another sub point. You can't rush fruitfulness. You can't rush it. I remember um, my my favorite preacher out there is T.D. Jakes. I mean, that guy can just flat preach. Um, and if you don't know who he is, I'm glad you don't. Uh, because I don't want you to compare me to him. Uh, I can't carry the man's Bible, all right? The, the guy can just preach the house down. And, and I'll never forget one time he was talking about his daughter, and his daughter was growing up, and, and people were recognizing that she had leadership, and people were recognizing that she could speak, and they were asking her to speak places. And, and he came on TV, and he said, don't ask her anymore. He goes, that fruit isn't ready to be picked yet. I never, ever forgot that. He goes, yeah, it, it's, it's fruitful now, but we're not picking it yet. We're going to let that grow a little bit. It's not ready yet. Now, she might have been bucking and ready to go. Sometimes an opportunity too soon increases your probability of failure. You know, I, I remember my my mother in the Lord, Jeannie Mayo, told me, she goes, why don't you come up here to an internship with me up here in Chicago and I'll intern you so that you can be in the ministry. Well, I would I was a youth pastor at the time when she said that. And I said, well, why would I want to come train to be in the ministry? I'm already in the ministry. And she goes, well, you can be good or you can put yourself in position to be really good. I said, well, I'm growing as it is. She goes, well, what I'm concerned about, Frankie, is that you're a lot like weed killer. I could tell at that moment that this wasn't going to be a good analogy. She goes, there's certain kinds of weed killer that you can go buy it at Walmart or whatever and spray it on your weeds and then leave and come back the next day and the weeds will actually be taller. And you will think that it's not working, but what's actually happening is that the weeds get so tall, they get tall too fast. And they didn't have a chance to get roots, and they just fall over. And she goes, I'm concerned that you're kind of like that weed. You're going to grow too fast, and you don't have enough roots, and you're just going to fall over. That was a tough conversation for me. I've just 
Just saying. You can't rush, you can't rush it. You can't rush fruitfulness. Do you, have you noticed that there is a machine for everything in the world that, that people are losing their jobs because of machines? We've got machines to do everything. Do you know that you cannot make a machine to pick fruit? Can't do it. This is year 2015. We got iPhones. We can buy things with our finger just right now. Just bing, 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 bing. Just buy and go Christmas shopping with your finger on your phone. And just bam, 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 bam. Technology. But you still go to Florida where they grow most of the oranges in the United States. And you're still going to see a guy on a big ladder picking oranges. And you drive by and you think to yourself, don't we have machines for this? No. Fruits have to be picked by a human hand. There's something about fruit. That's why everybody in the church, they want gifts. Well, they don't want fruit. Why? Gifts are free. You just get them. You wake up one morning and you're like, it's Christmas time. But fruit, you got to cultivate fruit. Everybody wants to prophesy. Uh, we're going to go ahead and camp here, right? We're, everybody wants prophecy. Everybody wants miracles. Everybody wants healing. Everybody wants the gifts of the Spirit because you don't have to do anything for it. It's a gift. Everybody wants tongues, the interpretation of tongues. You guys know them all. You've been asking for them for years. But when we come to fruits of the Spirit, wow, well, wow, well, you know. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'm going to say something. The people that are most gifted never pursued the gifts. They pursued the fruits, and out of the fruits came the gifts. Just chew on that for a little while. That was for free. Here's another sub-point underneath patience. The Bible often puts three words together, love, faith, hope, and love, especially during Christmas time. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. And, and I, when you and I have the impatient moments, I hope that we just string those words together to help us be a little bit more patient. Faith, hope, and love. And, and to break it down and think to ourselves, faith that God loves me. And, and hope the definition of hope is to have an expectation of the future. So faith that God really does love me. That God's got my future in his hands. And love. Let's just string that together. And here's another thought, another sub point. Let's not become a false prophet. In the process of being impatient. And what do I mean by that? False prophets are people who speak things into the future that are not of God. And when we are impatient, we could have a tendency to say things like, this is never going to happen. That's not ever going to happen. This isn't going to happen. That's not going to happen. This isn't going to happen. And, and somebody has to come along and say, hey, you are a false prophet and you're speaking false words. You're going against the Bible because the Bible says that I know the plans I have for you and they're good. The Bible says that no mind can imagine, no ear has heard, no eye has seen the things that I have in store for you. So when you're walking around and you're saying the exact opposite, you're actually sounding 
as if you're a false prophet. And, and, and let me just kind of put this in your head. We need to act like we're having a lot of weddings and not funerals. See, I'm a, I've been in the ministry since, uh, well, I think I'm coming up on my 17th year of full-time ministry. Isn't that crazy? I don't look like I'm old enough for that. I know. I started when I was two. But um, I, I love doing weddings. You know why I love doing weddings is even when I mess up as a pastor, people still leave happy. They're like, ah! Funerals, I can do a phenomenal funeral message and they're still going to leave sad. They're still dead, (laughs) right? They're still crying. They cry walking in, cry walking out. And I even try to say, hey, this is a celebration of life. Nope. I'm still mad. I'm still sad. They're in heaven. No, but they're not here. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and, And when you live your life with a funeral mentality, you think everything is dying all the time. Relationships are dying. My job is dying. Everything is, everything's, it's death at the door. Um, um, uh, everything is, it's like, Hey, stop thinking like that. Stop. Uh, I'm going to, uh, the person that I'm going to, I'm teasing you. Okay. I'm not going to embarrass you by saying your name, but you're in this room. Uh, I've got somebody in this room. I just know I'm teasing you. Okay. Um, and I've got a good relationship with this person so I can get away with it. So nobody come up to me and say, that's not good. I, you don't know who I'm talking about. But I got a friend of mine that came to me and said, you know, I I have such a negative outlook on things that I imagined when I bought a lottery ticket that if I win a million dollars, it's I'm so negative on how I look at it that I thought, man, taxes are going to take 60 percent. So I'm only going to keep four hundred thousand. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. you. You do need to change your outlook. You just won the lottery. My goodness. And it's like we can't have this funeral mentality where everything is on the verge of dying. We need to have a wedding mentality of everything is in the process of being intermingled with God. God is involved in my life. He's involved in my life. He's involved. He's involved. He's involved. He's involved. He is involved. He's involved. No more funerals. Thank you to the one person. Uh, Do you know, I I read this, I just want to read it real quickly, uh, that the number one prescription medication in the United States is antidepressants. Now, I'm not going to throw any stones because the probability is, is that there's a lot of people in this room that take antidepressants. So I'm not throwing stones. But what I am saying is that we have got to have a mentality that, of, of realizing and recognizing that depression is, have, is seeing the future and God's goodness is not there. Here's the other thing that James mentioned. Uh, Point number two, Uh, let's read this. James chapter five, verse nine. James says this. First of all, he says, I want you to be patient. And then 
The second thing he says, don't grumble about each other. I like that one. I like it. I like that one a lot. I like that one a lot. Because it's, it's kind of like, don't grumble about your mom, your stepdad. I, do, you know, does, does, ever, does anyone here have a pet peeve? Like, you know what your pet peeve is? It's like, I, that's just my pet peeve. And I, it's just kind of like, these things over here, they should make me mad, but they really don't. But that irritates the mess out of me. Do you know, that's what a pet peeve is. You know what I mean? My pet peeve is when people shed a negative light on other people. I go ballistic over that. I just go ballistic. Is there anyone like me like that? I go ballistic over that. You know, we've kicked three people out of our church, and I think all three times it was it had to do something with that. Three people in 10 years is not that bad, you know? My, my dad, he aims to kick one out a year. He told me that. He said, one, one time a year, you just got to have a flesh, a good fresh movement of the church. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, man. That's cool. Don't grumble. Point number two is, is mouth. He says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. You will be judged. Man. If that's not a good enough reason not to talk about people. And, and, and have you ever had somebody say to you, well, I'm just, you know, I'm just one of those people. I just call it like it is. Okay. You, you go ahead and do that because I don't want to be anywhere close to you in line in heaven. I, I just don't even want to be. And here's the, the other thing uh, about the mouth that he says in James chapter 5, verse 12. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. Now, um, what that's saying is if you say you're going to do something, do it. Now, I, I was unsure if I was going to mention this, and I even wrote a question mark to myself uh, on whether or not I wanted to bring this up. Um, because I think there's like 25 people here that I know you pretty well, and you know me pretty well, and you're going to think I'm talking to you, but I'm not talking to you, okay? Um, uh this is this is an epidemic that more than and, and our staff is here in this room and we 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 have staff meetings about this so our staff is going to think that I'm talking to them but I'm not talking to them I'm including them but I'm not talking about them music people when when you look at some I'm going to say this all real fast because I'm going to be uncomfortable I can feel my feet moving fast and everything so I'm just going to say this point real fast, and I'm just going to go to the next one, all right? When you tell somebody, hey, I'll see you at 12. Let's, let's do lunch. I'll see you at 12. You need to see him at 12. Now, I'm going to say two things that I hope ruin you because they ruined me. I used to be the guy where, I'm, hey, I'll get there when I get there. And if you don't want to wait, Leave. That's how I used to think, okay? It's embarrassing. And then somebody said two things to me. No, um, one thing was said to me, and, and then another thing I thought, 
on my own. First thing was this. Anytime you're late, whatever you were doing before you left was more important to you than being on time. I'll say that again. Anytime you're late, you have to accept the fact that whatever you were doing before you left was more important than being on time. Let me just say, well, there was traffic. Well, how do you think I got here? A helicopter? Here's the other thing. Being late is one of the most obvious forms of a narcissist. Because, hey, my schedule revolves around me. My world revolves around me. You're in my world and it revolves around me. So I have a friend of mine um, that won't give a commitment on when he's going to be there. Hey, I'll see you for lunch. Well, when are you going to be here? Um, between 1 and one fifteen. I was like, you know, I appreciate your honesty. Thank you for that. I show up at one fifteen, <laughs> But he gives himself a window. Whatever you got to do, do it. But let your yeas be yea and your nays be nay. Everyone say, go to the next point. <laughs> Woo! It's hot and sweaty up here. Point number three, James begins to talk about endurance. James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets. Now he's talking about endurance here, okay? Look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Uh, if you're taking notes, and even if you're not taking notes, write this down. Just grab the offering envelope and write this down. Stick it in your pocket. Don't act like you haven't done that before. Just grab the offering envelope. Write this down. Almost everybody quits too soon. Have you noticed that? Almost, and I, and I, I'm going to include myself on that. There's certain things that I'm really proud of myself. I started them. I still do them. Like I have been running as a form of exercise at the very least of four days a week uh, for three years. I'm proud of myself about that. I, I started and I have not quit. But that's pretty much the whole list. <laughs> I don't have anything else on that list. I still love Jesus. That's on the list. I have quit so many things. And, and I don't, I don't, it's too easy for us to quit. You ever notice that? It's too easy. And I'll tell you, I'm going to come a little close to home. It's too easy for us to quit on our relationships. And see, I'm Italian. And, you know, if you stab me in the back, I have this knee jerk of you and I will never be the same. I forgive you. God, you hear that? I said I forgive him. But you and I, never the same. Yeah, 
that's not good. What, what if Jesus did that to me? You and I, never the same. We, we quit on relationships. We quit on marriages. Well, I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. Well, there should be a song out called, What's love got to do with it? Got to do with it. So you don't love him. What's that got to do with it? Well, I don't love her. What's that got to do with it? I mean, you've been married longer than 24 hours. What do you think was going to happen? I see. See, what's funny right now is some of y'all, it's like half of the room has the poker face on. <laughs> like, I'm not going to give you an inch on this one. You're out there on your own, preacher. I love my wife. Look, here's the thing. <laughs> Isn't it fun to be a celebration church, everybody? Here, here's the thing. We all love each other, but there's a lot of times where we have trouble liking each other. Now, because this is being recorded, I would just like to say that I love and like my wife every minute of the day. But I know good and well that she does not like me every minute of the day. How do I know that? Because I don't like me half of the day. <laughs> you know, don't, don't, don't be overly spiritual right now. I, I think that, that, that we need to just embrace the fact that we've got to stop quitting on each other. We've got to stop quitting on our marriages. We have to stop quitting on God. We have to stop quitting on our relationships. We have to stop quitting on our goals. We have to stop quitting on things. We have to stop quitting. Like, quit quitting. saith the Lord. No more quitting. No more, no more quitting. No more quitting, okay? No more quitting. Here we go. Number four, this is the next thing that, um, that James talks about. And, and I've had some fun tonight, and, and I want to say thank you uh, for giving me some license to be silly and and I hope that's okay. I hope I don't get any emails in the morning and, and and people in the lobby and making appointments with me. And oh, it happens. Trust me. But on this point, I I, I want the Holy Spirit to help me connect with you the very best I can because. This point has been so real in my life uh, for the past six days. So real. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping that I can impart this passion to you. Um, and the point is this, point number four, the, the power of prayer. Um, this is the moment where I wish I had a, like a water hose that I could just stick into my heart and, and just l stick the other end into your heart and, and just let it flow because I feel like my heart is like a tomato on this topic. Um, 
First of all, let me read what James says. James chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now, it's interesting. In 1 John 1, 9, it says that if you confess your sins to God, you'll be forgiven. But if you confess your sins to each other, you can be healed. Some of us, I'll I'll confess all you want to to God, but I'm not going to tell a soul. Well, I want to just tell you, there's something powerful with iron sharpening iron. There's something powerful with accountability, but that's for another day. Let me focus on the second half of this verse. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. Everybody say great power three times. One, two, three, go. All right, I can't hear you. So let's do it again. On three. One, two, three. And produces wonderful results. I want you to say wonderful results five times when I count to three. One, two, three. Let me just talk uh, from my heart about this. Some of this stuff I said last Sunday... um, I got down, and don't put your notes away because I have a fifth point. I got on my knees. I've always had a good prayer life. I've always had a good prayer life. I've had a good prayer life as far back as I can remember. But for the last five or six days, I'm just telling you, I almost didn't want to pray today because I couldn't pray longer than an hour. And it was just going to be frustrating for me. And so I could only pray for a half an hour and I chose to just pray because and I'm laughing at myself that I've reached this point in my prayer life that a half an hour just is frustrating. Um, The tide began to turn with me last Monday when I I felt the Lord just speak to me, Frankie, I want you to pray as if it's really going to make a difference. As if it's really going to make a difference. I want you to pray just like that. You know, the reality is, is you don't. I, I was talking to some friends of mine on Thursday afternoon and I, I just said, why don't why don't you guys pray? It's actually my life group. I'm a part of a life group. If you're not part of a life group, you should be a part of a life group. But I said, why don't you guys pray? And we went around the circle and. Some people said, I'm busy, I'm time, my schedule All of that is baloney. Because if you knew for a fact, 100% sure that something was going to happen because of you prayed, you would make time. The bottom line is we're just, we don't think it's going to make a difference. And that's why we don't. But when things get real bad, we're so desperate. We might as well just roll the dice and pray. But when you start praying as if it's going to make a difference and you say, God, I know this is going to make a difference. That's when we back up and we say the earnest prayers. Some of your Bibles say fervent prayers, fervent prayers. Availeth much. Uh, Let me say this about next year, 2015. 
If your prayer life is better than it's ever been in your entire life next year, next year will be the best year you've ever had. And let me let me say this. Some of you are in this room and you say, well, I, I've prayed for certain things and I've prayed fervently and I've prayed hard and I've prayed faithfully and, and it didn't make a difference in that situation. Oh, well, let me ask you. When I say pray as if it's going to make a difference, I'm talking about does praying make a difference you don't get to choose the will of God. You don't get to choose the will of God. You don't get to do that. What you do get to do is position yourself for the will of God. If you can imagine a waterfall from heaven coming right out of that ceiling... And it's gold and it's crystal and it's, it's like beautiful. What does prayer do? Does prayer move that waterfall to come be under, on top of you? No, you don't get to move the will of God. You don't get to move it. What you do get to do is move yourself to stand inside the will of God. That's what you do get to do. You don't get to live your life going, well, I asked for God to move his presence right here and change this person right there. No, you don't get to do that. Now, you do get to pray for people that their heart would gravitate towards God. But it's his will that remains. It's his will. He doesn't change his will. No, don't don't argue with me and say Moses changed his will. Look, I don't. I'm gonna just. I'm gonna be transparent and just say I don't understand the outlier situations. Okay, I don't understand the outlier situations, but I understand biblical principles. Okay, and biblical principles say let your will be done here on earth, just like it is in heaven. Let your will. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray like this. Now, if God wants to light a tree on fire, he gets to do that. If he wants to open up the the Red Sea, he gets to do that. If he wants to have a conversation with Abraham about smoking everybody in Sodom and Gomorrah and they have an argument back and forth and Abraham changes his mind, hey, look, I'm not going to base my belief system on outlier situations. I'm going to base my belief system on principles. Does that make sense? I'm not going to live my life saying, well, I'll just change God's mind. (laughs) No. No. I'm going to get in the will of God. Stay in the will of God. Move in the will of God. And I want to say that when we are in his will, we will think like him. I was reading a book last night about Charles Finney. I wish I had. I'm on like chapter five. I can't remember the name of the book. 
but Charles Finney kept on praying for this guy's salvation, kept on praying for this guy's salvation. And, and, and he just felt like his prayers all of a sudden get real boring and real bland every time he prayed for this guy. And then every time he, he started praying about something else, it would, his prayer time would be exciting and it'd be vibrant. And then he'd go back to praying about this guy's salvation and it would go bland. And all of a sudden he had a vision of Jesus and Jesus said to him, don't talk about him anymore. I couldn't read fast enough. The next day, Charles Finney was talking to this guy. And the guy looked at Charles Finney and said, look, I'll get my life right with God after I get off this next business trip. And what he was doing on this business trip was so incredibly unholy and unrighteous. And it was premeditated. It was planned. And, and he pushed God to the back burner. And he made this personal decision and this personal choice. And all of this, you can say, what in the world? But Charles Finney had the mind of God, the thoughts of God, the heart of God. And that, my friends, is what we pursue. The will of God. The heart of God. We don't know all the other variables going on. And you know what? He's God. He doesn't have to tell any of us what all is going on. He doesn't have to tell any of us. And we can be angry because he hasn't told us. But look, it's his will. It's his plan. It's his world. It's his universe. And he's the king. But I want to encourage you. With this thought, if you pray like you have never prayed before, you will live a life like you've never had before. And uh, I want to say this. I am praying that people will accelerate their prayer time with me for next year. The last and final point is point number five. Is restore wandering believers. I talked about being a narcissist earlier. Don't let this be offensive because I say it to myself all the time. But when we are no longer about inviting people to church and we are no longer consumed and heartbroken about lost souls, there's an issue with us. There's an issue. There's a problem. In James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Man, I tell you what, when you begin to read the Bible, when you begin to see how the heart of God beats, I don't know about you, but it makes all these worldly concerns just seem to fade away. What's that song? You know that song, everything becomes increasingly dim when he becomes great. Do you know what I'm talking about? Why don't we do this? Why don't we all stand to our feet and I want him to sing this song. I 
don't you bow your head to everybody here in this room. He's going to sing a precious song, and I hope it invites you into his presence.